let me pray for us once again as we come to read from um, the Word of God. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have heard our prayers already this morning. And Lord, we come to you again and ask for your help. Help to hear your word, help to hear from you, help to understand and help to apply this word that I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1 to our lives. I pray that it wouldn't just be me speaking, but the Holy Spirit would speak through me and he would speak to each of our hearts and minds, that we would grow in our understanding of who you are. We would grow in our understanding of your goodness and we would grow in our Christ-likeness, each and every one of us in this moment now. Come Holy Spirit, move in our midst, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, this is the final part of our sermon series which we've called Miraculous Births. And today we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. So we've looked at the birth of Samson and we've looked at the birth of Samuel and we've been seeing how God has knitted history together, how the Holy Spirit has spoken through his word in the Old Testament in order to foreshadow the wonderful things that were to come in the New Testament. Jesus was born and as he was born, he was fulfilling years and years, thousands of years of prophecy that had been spoken through the nation of Israel. And we come to the New Testament, and in Luke's Gospel, the first birth that we read about is not Jesus' birth, but the birth of this man called John the Baptist. And I'm going to jump straight in and read to you this passage of Scripture. I'm reading Luke 1, verses 5 to 25. It should appear on the screen behind me as well. Let's read God's Word together. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realised he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I'm sure it's a story that lots of us are more familiar with, perhaps, than the the births that we've read previously in this series. There is a married couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you'll notice in verse 6, it describes this couple as a righteous couple, a blameless couple. If you went to Israel and you said, who in this place is really living out the commandments of God? Who's doing, who's doing life the right way? This is the couple you would say, you would say, go and follow their example. They are reading the law. They are understanding God's commandments. They are really living this out. They are, they are people who are doing life right in God's sight according to verse 6. And yet, they are in a place of suffering, in verse 7. They have no child. Elizabeth is barren, and the couple are very old, too old to have children. And the reason I, I point this out to start this sermon is to say this. In this life, affliction is not linked to righteousness. In this life, affliction is not linked to righteousness. The Christian message isn't be good and bad things will stop happening to you. We don't believe in karma in this church. That's not the Christian gospel message. Be good and bad things will stop happening to you. And if you you want proof, you can look at this couple. They're described as a righteous couple and yet they are suffering. They're sad. They've gone many, many years thinking that they are never going to have a child and now they've reached old age and they think now it's impossible now it's definitely not going to happen and that and that gives them sadness right at the end of the passage i've read elizabeth speaks about having a reproach a shame before the people because she has not had any children at this point in her life so the message of christianity isn't be good and bad things won't happen to you. Affliction isn't, in this life, isn't linked to righteousness. No, the message of Christianity is believe in Christ and you will receive eternal, everlasting hope. A hope that will never die, which is firm and secure. We, we have a, a hope that is eternal, that will never die, will never perish, and it will not fade. Believe in Christ and you will receive eternal hope. And the hope is so great and so wonderful that it means even through suffering, you can rejoice because you have Jesus Christ. You have justification. You have the salvation that we've sung about in Jesus who died for us upon the cross. I think that's important for us to bear in mind during this season in our in our life that affliction is not linked to righteousness we may well suffer and yet as Christians we're called to rejoice because of the hope that we have in Jesus so this couple are, are described as righteous and blameless but they are suffering and struggling and Zechariah performs his duty in the temple and he goes in and in verse 11 an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah while he's on his temple duty and verse 13 really struck me 
And I think it's an important verse for us to look at this morning. For it says, in ver- the angel speaks to Zechariah in verse 13. And what does the angel Gabriel say? Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Isn't that an important message for us to hear as well this morning? Do not be afraid, your prayer has been heard. And not just Zechariah's prayer, I love that the the multitude of the people are outside praying as well. So there's a whole group of people praying and Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying and the angel speaking on behalf of God says, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. The prayers that we have just prayed together as a church have been heard by God. And our God is a mighty God, able to answer all prayers. He's a powerful God. He's a wise God. He always does what is right. He's a good God and he is a loving God. And he loves us eternally and wonderfully and faithfully and steadfastly. And so we know that as we've prayed to God, he has heard our prayers and he will answer them in the way that is right. He will answer them in the way that is good for us because he loves us. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful comfort to us in this moment? And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, be people of prayer, because you know that when you pray, God hears your prayer. (laughs) You know, don't you know, don't pray to me. Don't come and ask me to do things. Go to God and pray to him and know that he was always good and mighty to do great and wonderful things. Let's be people of prayer, knowing that God hears us when we pray. Let that truth give us hope. Let that truth give us joy through every situation. What Jeff read from Philippians is such an encouragement, isn't it? We don't need to be anxious because we take things to Christ in prayer and he hears us and answers in the way that is good for us. And so I want you to take verse 13 away with you this morning. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And the answer to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer in this passage is that they will have a son. They will call him John. And I love the promise that they are given about this baby John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. Later in the story, Mary, who's heard the news that she's going to have a son, the baby Jesus, she goes to Elizabeth and it says the baby leaps with joy in the womb when Mary and Elizabeth get together. It's such an amazing testimony. This is really true. The Holy Spirit has given this baby, even in the womb, some knowledge of the Messiah, of the Christ, some, some salvation, some connection with God through the Holy Spirit who lives within him. And so he leaps with joy when the baby is in close proximity. It's an amazing miracle to think about. Do you remember a few weeks ago I was talking about the Holy Spirit being a gift of grace, not something that you earn. You don't do works to earn God giving you the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't this, isn't this proof that the hope, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something you earn, it's something that's given as a gift, that this, this baby John has done nothing to deserve this wonderful gift, and yet he is full of the Holy Spirit even in the womb. I want to focus this morning, though, on verses 16 and 17. I want to answer these questions. What is the mission of this baby to be called John? Why will he be great before God? And how does John's purpose challenge us and teach us how we should live? So I'm going to read verses 16 to 17 again, and then I'm going to unpack these verses for us. This is what it says of John. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go 
before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In verse 17, we're told that John will go before him. And one of the big questions of, of, of this verse is, who is the him described? He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Who is the him in verse 17? Well, when you see a word like him, if you know your English grammar rules, you need to go backwards to see who was referred to last in the story. And if you go backwards, you go backwards to verse 16 and you'll see that the angel was speaking about the Lord. At the end of verse 16, the Lord, their God, the God of Israel was being described in verse 16. And if you go forwards in verse 17, it says that John would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the hymn at the start of verse 17 is the Lord himself. This is what the angel is saying to John. This is what the angel is saying to Zechariah, sorry. Your son John will go before the Lord. He's going to be born first and he's going to have a ministry first. He's going to prepare the way. He's going to make the people ready to receive the Lord himself. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, the coming of God into the world, the incarn, the infleshing of God himself. And so John is given a very special mission to go before Jesus, who is God himself. This Christmas, don't lose sight of what we are celebrating, which is something truly astonishing, that God himself came to the earth in human flesh. He was born a baby and grew into a man. And John is given this mission to go before him, get the people ready to receive Jesus. If you read the story of John's ministry, this is exactly what he did. He went into the wilderness and he baptised people and he preached and he spoke. And people said, Hey, is this guy the Messiah? Is John the Messiah? Is this guy who's baptising everyone? Is he the Messiah to come? And John said, no, it's not me. There is one coming after me whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. You know, I'm doing, I might be doing great things. Lots of people are coming to me and being baptised by me. But there's someone far, far greater coming. And so John's ministry is all about pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Lord who was coming. If you're ever visited by Jehovah's Witnesses, let me just give you a little tip. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus was just some angel. And so one of the places you can go to show them that that is not true is this verse in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Don't you see? John was preparing the way of the Lord. Not just a man. John was preparing the way of the Lord. And so when Jesus came, he was the Lord God in human flesh. That's what we believe. That's why we called Christ Church Fairham, because we believe Jesus is our God. We worship him, we follow him, we celebrate him, we give him the glory in all things. Jesus is the Lord who came to earth to rescue his people. So John's mission is to go before the Lord, to prepare the people to meet Jesus. But the question is how? How is he going to do this? How is he going to prepare the people to meet Jesus, to meet the true Messiah, to meet the saviour of the world, to meet God himself? In human flesh. And the answer given in verses 16 and 17 is to turn people. 
did you see that the word turn was repeated several times in those verses. So firstly, in verse 16, John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Secondly, John will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And thirdly, John will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Three turns, three different ways in which people are called to turn. And John's mission is to turn people. And these are going to be my three points this morning. Thinking about what it means to turn to the Lord our God. Thinking about what it means to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And thinking about what it means to turn from disobedience to the wisdom of the just. And as I go through these three points, I'm going to be asking you three questions. Have you turned? Have you turned to the Lord your God? Have you turned in the way that John is calling us to turn? Are you turning? Have you turned but you've stopped turning? I'm asking, have you turned? And are you turning in your life? And I'll explain what that means as I go through. And thirdly and finally, I want to ask you, are you calling others to turn? Are you following John's example? Are you living out the mission that John has, which is to turn people to God? So firstly, let's think about turning to the Lord God. John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The Christian life begins with repentance. The Christian life begins with repentance. And the word repentance means turning. Christians say, I have turned my back on God. This is the life I was living. I turned my back on God. I ignored him. I did life my own way. I haven't sought after God. I haven't followed him or run after him. No, I've been running in the opposite direction, doing life the way I want to do it. I've gone after idols. Instead of worshipping God and giving him the glory and the praise, I've, I've made other things the ultimate thing in my life. You know, I'm not, in this modern day and age, very few people will bow down to statues as they did in the Old Testament. But idolatry is making something other than God the ultimate thing, the very best thing, the very most important thing in your life. Some people make money the ultimate thing in their life. Earning as much money as possible is their idol and that's what they live life. That Their salary is a score for how they're doing in life. Some people seek power. That's the thing they go after. They want to have influence and and power over other people. Other people seek popularity. That's their idol, to be be accepted by others, to, to have lots and lots of friends or lots and lots of family. Popularity is the ultimate thing in their life. That becomes their idol. Sometimes we're good at pointing the finger at others. Sometimes we're good at pointing the finger in particular at politicians. And I'm not saying that in, in some instances they don't need to be criticised and challenged, but some people are easy to, it's easy to point at the politicians and say, these people have sought power and they might be using it selfishly and dishonestly for their own gain. It's easy to point the finger at others. But sometimes it's much harder to assess ourselves and to look at our own hearts. And so Christians say, actually, there's something that I've done that's not quite right. There's something wrong with my heart. And ultimately, it's because I've turned my back upon God. I'm going my own direction. I have sinned. I have done things that are proud. I have done things that are dishonest. I'm not following God. I'm not worshipping him. I'm not seeking relationship with him. I've turned my back on God. 
But the Christian says, I had turned my back on God, but then I repented. I, I turned and I believed in God again and I sought to give him the glory that he is worthy of. And you know, the way back is Christ. If you've turned your back on God, if you've gone in the wrong direction, the way to return to God is Jesus Christ. He was God in human flesh, come to earth, come to reveal what God the Father was truly like. And he came as saviour. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose again in glory so that all who believe in Christ are repenting, are turning, are putting their faith in Jesus and following him, loving him, worshipping him, believing he is the saviour. They have their sins forgiven and they're given the gift of eternal life. And Jesus is not only your saviour if you're a Christian, he is also your Lord. And that means you follow him. That means he gives you instructions. That means he leads you in the way to go. The way back to God is Christ, for he is God. And he is also the saviour who reconciled us to God the Father. And so Christians say, I had turned my back on God, but now I have turned and believed in Christ and received forgiveness and received everlasting life. And so I want to ask each and every one of you this morning, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, have you turned to God? Through Jesus Christ. Can you say there was a moment in your past where you repented and came back to God? That previously God had nothing, you had nothing to do with God. You did not honour him, you did not seek him, you did not follow him. But then there was a moment where you repented and turned back to God. For that was John's mission. To preach and say, turn back, go back to God. There's one who is coming, there's a Messiah who is coming. Jesus Christ is coming, turn to him and believe in him. He will save you from your sin and deliver you into eternal life. And so this is, this is the most important question I'm going to ask you this morning. Have you repented? Have you turned back? Have you believed in Christ and received the salvation that we Christians love to proclaim and celebrate? The Christian life begins with repentance. But I also want to ask you, are you turning back to the Lord, your God? The Christian life begins with repentance, but the Christian life also consists of repentance in a, on a, day, in a daily way, hourly, reorientating ourselves back to God over and over through our lives. I don't mean that you turn and believe in Christ and you become a Christian and then you mess up and you turn back around and you're no longer a saved Christian anymore and your life is ruined. So you have to repent and come back to God in confession. You get saved again. You know, you're saved and not saved and saved. That's not what I mean at all. That's not what the Christian gospel says. But what happens in our life is we turn back to Christ and we follow him. And as we follow him, we make mistakes or we just drift off. In, and the Christian life is we're still saved. Jesus still loves us. We're still forgiven for the things we've done wrong. But we just need to reorientate ourselves back to God. And in that sense, the Christian life is a life of repentance. That's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to confess our sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. And so we should be turning back to God over and over and over again in our lives. I want to ask you Christians, do you live a life of consciously running back to God, consciously turning away from sin back to Christ, hourly, daily, moment by moment? 
And finally, I want to ask you, are you calling others to repent as well? This is John's ministry. He went baptizing in the wilderness and baptism was a symbol of the turning. You're washed clean and you are lifted up out of the water and saying, I'm come back to God. I've turned back to him. I'm following him now. And so John's ministry was about baptizing and speaking words that would call people to turn back to the Lord God. And John did this not just with words, but also with his deeds and with his life. He went into the wilderness, he dressed in camel hair, he ate locusts and honey. And he not only did these things because he was given this mantle of following after the prophet Elijah. And that's how Elijah used to dress and eat and live. And so John the Baptist follows the example of Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament. But John also lives this way because it's a provocation to the people. It's not only his words that are saying there's greed amongst these people, there's sin amongst these people, it's also his deeds. I don't think you, you would be confronted, you would see John the Baptist and the way he was living and think, maybe I'm living selfishly, maybe I'm living greedily. And you look at the way this man is living and it would provoke you to consider your own life and to consider whether God truly was your ultimate thing, the ultimate one. Was he number one in your list above everything else in your life? And so John provoked the people by his lifestyle, by his humble lifestyle. And he also provoked the people with his words, calling people to turn from sin and come back to God. Are you calling others back to Jesus Christ, back to the Lord your God, with your words and your deeds? Are you showing in the way that you live that you love God and that he is better than everything else in your life? Are you showing that God is number one? And you do that by loving him, by worshipping him, by by honouring him and also by loving others because God is the one who created all people. He loves people. And so if you want to live a, a provoking life, you love God sacrificially, wonderfully, and you love others in, in a sacrificial way. Are you living this life? Is your life provoking people to say, hey, Why are they living that way? Do I need to think about the way I'm living? And also, we need to speak words, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And when I say the word provoke, I don't mean that we should be angry and loud and shout at people necessarily. But we do sometimes need to speak words that challenge people's points of view and the lives that they're living. Ask people questions. Well, why is that the best thing in your life? Why is, what's that giving you that, that you can't get from God? Those kind of questions, asking questions, provoking people. Being an evangelist does mean sometimes saying something that might be a little challenging to someone who's not a Christian. Is your life, is your deeds and are your words asking people to consider that Jesus might be the saviour of the world, that God is God, that he is the greatest and the best thing in life? Have you repented? Have you turned back to God? Are you repenting? Are you constantly reorientating your life to God? And are you calling others to do the same through your deeds and your words? Because what we see in this passage is that turning back to God, restoring your relationship with God, doesn't just impact your relationship with God. It also impacts your relationship with others and it changes the way you live. And so the second way that John is to turn people is he is to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. If you say you love God, but you hate people, 
then you do not truly love God. For people were made in the image of God, and God loves them and cares for them. And so if you love God, you will also love people. As John proclaims in the wilderness this message, turning people back to the Lord God, there is also a great reconciliation in families happening. Fathers are turning back to their children. And this isn't just a shallow, surface-level turning back. This is a heartfelt transformation. He's turning the hearts of fathers back to their children. The, the reconciliation between us and God changes our insides, changes our hearts. We're given new birth in the Holy Spirit so that we not only love God, but we also love others. And this is exactly what's happening in John's ministry. People are turning back to the Lord and having their hearts transformed so they also love children. And I think this verse is about the smaller family, the local family, um, fathers and mothers and children. The father who loves Christ will also have Christ-like love towards his children. But I also think this is a wider message. It's an interesting um, phraseology, isn't it? Turn uh, Turn the hearts of fathers to the children. Not turn the hearts of fathers to their children, but to the children. And the most recent children mentioned in that passage is the children of Israel. So I think there's a sense here that as people turn back to God, their hearts are being turned. So they not only love their own children, but they also love all the children of Israel. They have a heart and a love for the people of God. This is what happens when you become a Christian, when you turn back to God, when you repent, when you're reconciled to God. He gives you his love for the church, for the people of God. And so as John turns people to God, he also restores relationships amongst those people within the church, within the people of God. In John 13, verse 35, this is exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. This is how they will know that you are my disciple that you love one another. How does the world know that we follow Jesus, that we worship him, that we love him, that he is the God whom we worship? It's the way we love each other within the church. As we turn back to God, it's not just me and God. That's, that's not Christianity. That's not how church is supposed to work. It's me and God And all of you, the people of God together, coming into fellowship and loving each other and working together. I want to ask you, when you turned back to God, when you became a Christian, did your love increase for your family? And did you begin to love the church family, the ones who you gather on a Sunday? Was your love transformed in that moment you became a Christian? Have you been transformed? Have you been turned to one who loves the people of God? But also, are you growing in love for your family? Always turning more and more into Christ-like love for others. It's not just a moment, it's also a lifetime of loving the church. And I want to encourage you, what's, what's what's the little change that you can make in this next season to love people in the family of God better? You know, there are challenges and and there are things you might not do because of COVID, but there are also many, many things we can do to love one another. When was the last time you picked up the phone and spoke to someone in the room who you hadn't seen for a while to see how they were doing and had a conversation with them, maybe even prayed for them? When was the last time you you said, oh, let's let's go for a walk, let's spend some time together? What can you do to love the people in the church better? Because this is what it is to be a Christian. You love God, you turn back to God, and our hearts are turned to love the children of God as well.
let me ask you one more question. Are you sharing that love as a provocation to others outside the church? I wonder whether your friends think of you and say of you, that guy really loves his brothers and sisters in the church. That girl, she just, she just cares for the church so much. I wonder whether the people you know who aren't Christians would say that about you because of the way you live. We must turn not only and be reconciled to God, but we must also turn and love one another. And if we aren't prepared to do that, we need to ask ourselves, have we really turned back to God? If we don't love the people in the room, yes, sometimes that can be a challenge and we have to overcome hurdles and annoyances and frustrations because we're human and we get things wrong. But ultimately, if you don't love the people in the church, have you really turned back to God? Thirdly and finally then, John's ministry is to turn people from disobedience to the wisdom of the just. It's not just your relationship with God that's transformed when you repent. It's not just your relationship with others that is transformed when you repent. It's also your deeds. We once lived without God, but now Christ has saved us. And as I said earlier, he is not just our saviour, he is also our Lord. And as our Lord, we obey his commands. We turn from disobedience, we turn from doing life our own way. And we say, Lord Jesus, what are you commanding me to do? How are you instructing me? How are you guiding me? I want to follow you, I want to submit to you, because I know that you are a good, compassionate Lord. That everything that you command will be for my good. It's interesting here that disobedience is the opposite of wisdom of the just. And so we know that disobedience to God is foolishness, according to this passage. To disobey God is foolishness, but to obey God is wisdom, and wisdom loves justice. I want to challenge us this morning. Your commitment to turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the just can be measured by your relationship with God's word. Your commitment to turning from disobedience to wisdom can be measured by your relationship with God's word. I don't just mean time spent reading God's word. I also mean the attitude you have when you read God's word. If you love God and if you love Jesus and you want to follow him, you will spend time reading this book, seeking out Jesus' commands, saying, how should I live in light of the salvation I have received? And so you spend time in the word. But you also come with an attitude that says, I'm not just going to read this and tick it off my Bible reading plan for today. I want to live out what this word says. You, You come and say, Lord, speak to me, direct me, change me during this time. I find that challenging to myself. That your commitment to turning from disobedience to God's wisdom can be measured by the time and attitude you spend reading God's word. Don't we want to be a wise people? Don't we want to be an obedient people? Don't we want to be a people who fight for and love the justice of God? Well, this book will help us. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit speak to us in these words, directing us and changing us. Even We've seen even here the mission of John is a provocation to how we're living our lives. And so this is a call to obedience, to say, yes, John the Baptist was one who always pointed to Jesus. I want to be the same. I want to point to Jesus in everything that I do. John the Baptist's mission was all about turning. 
He called people to turn to God, to be reconciled to God as Father. You have a Father in heaven, and if you are a believer in Christ, you can always pray to your Father in heaven, and he will always hear your prayer. This is what it is to repent, to be reconciled to our God who reigns on high. Have you turned to God? Are you turning to God? And are you calling others to turn to God? John the Baptist's mission was also to to change the way people loved, to turn people from loving themselves selfishly, to turn them to loving others sacrificially. Are you one who has turned to love others and particularly the people of God? Are you the person in this room who everybody loves because you're always on the lookout for how people are doing? You're always caring for other people in the church. Do you love others? And have you turned from disobedience into wisdom are you seeking the wisdom of god seeking to follow christ are you saying jesus you are my lord i want to follow you we are in challenging times we are in difficult times and it may well be that things get worse before it gets better in this country and in this world. But I want to encourage you during this Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, be someone who consciously, hourly, daily turns back to God, seeks to love others and searches out the wisdom of God, turning from your disobedient ways, asking for forgiveness and living out the way God wants you to live. Why? Because God is good. Because he has saved us, he has rescued us from sin and death into forgiveness and eternal life. He loves you, he cares for you, he is a good God, he wants what's best for you. So turn to him, enjoy relationship with him and let your relationship with him flow into love for others and flow into wisdom and obedience. You will have an excellent Christmas. If that's what you do over these next few days and weeks, constantly turning back to God, enjoying your relationship with him and letting God change and transform your life. I want to lead us in a time of quiet before I will pray. Perhaps there's something I've said that has convicted you. Perhaps there's something I've said that's challenged you, that made you think maybe this is something that I need to go back to God with. Or maybe you just want to do exactly what I've been calling us to do. Maybe you just want to turn back to God. Perhaps for the first time if you're not a Christian. Repenting, turning to God, asking for forgiveness. And if you're a Christian, turning, reorientating your life and your heart and your mind to God once again in this moment. For that is why John was sent, to prepare the way for Jesus. And so I call us now to have a moment of quiet where we just pray and turn in our hearts back to the Lord. Back to loving others and back to the wisdom that God gives. And after a moment of silence, I will lead us in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we turn to you today. We turn our hearts back to you, Lord God. We confess that we have turned away from you in various areas of our lives. We have not done what is right. We have not honoured and worshipped you as you are worthy of. And we know that you are a spectacular God, glorious in majesty and in power and in love. And so we say, forgive us for the things we've done wrong. Forgive us where our hearts have strayed. And we now turn back to you, Lord God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Christ who has made a way that we can call you Father. And we turn to Christ in faith in our hearts as well. We believe in you, Christ. We love you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising again. Thank you that the path has been opened so that all who have strayed can come back to God. And we take advantage of that glorious invitation now in our hearts, turning back to you, Lord. We want to enjoy fruitful and close relationship with you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that we can always come to you in prayer and you hear us when we pray. And I pray that this season, this Advent season, this Christmas season would be marked by deep relationship with you through prayer and reading the word. Lord, we want to love others. We know that Christ showed great love for others when he died on the cross. We know that you, Father, love all people for you have created them in your image. And so we pray that you would give us that love in our hearts, that you would turn the hearts of fathers to their children, but you would turn all of our hearts to love the people of God. I pray that people would look at Christ Church Fair and people would look at our church and say, wow, those guys love each other. They must be disciples of Jesus because of how they love each other. Take us the next step, Lord God, particularly over the next few days and weeks. I pray that we would show great love for one another in our lives. And we pray also, Lord, you would turn us from disobedience to wisdom. Fill us with knowledge of your will. Fill us with obedient hearts and direct us so that we truly would walk after Christ and obey his commands, acknowledging that he is Lord. I thank you for the mission of John the Baptist that this angel declared to Zechariah. I thank you that he fulfilled this mission. He really did prepare the way of Jesus Christ. And so we want to receive that ministry by being those who follow Jesus and have turned to God. But we also want to live out this ministry by speaking to others. And I pray you would anoint us so that our lives and our deeds and our words provoke others to consider the the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, I want to just repeat this amazing promise that the angel gave to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Lord, I thank you that our prayers today have been heard, that our prayers are always heard because of your goodness. And Lord, I pray that this season would be a season of prayer and that as we pray, you would take fear from us. We wouldn't be anxious. We wouldn't be scared. We wouldn't be frightened because we know that you are a wise, loving, powerful God and you hear us when we speak to you. I pray if ever we feel anxiety or tension or fear, this would be our inclination. This would be our instinct to turn to you in prayer. And know that you hear and answer prayers according to your steadfast love. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Bless these people, Heavenly Father, today, for the rest of this weekend, for the rest of this week, and always, Lord God, with your awesome, steadfast, deep, eternal love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.